passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. Welcome back after we had Snow Day Sunday uh, last week. So it's good that we actually have some sun out this week, only a, a week later. Just one little thing I need you to do, by the way. Uh, everyone start by taking out their outlines. Hold them up. Okay, you got them out? Okay. Now put them, in your, you know, put them down and get a pen out and cross out the date April 15th. Change that to April 22nd. I don't want anyone to freak out. Tax day did not come twice this year. Once is bad enough, and we all think we know that. Well, we are in a series right now. Uh, it's called Discovering God's Will. And two weeks ago, we began this series. It's a short series. We're only going to have three total weeks in this series. Uh, last week, we looked at the very basics of discovering God's will and how God really leads us through 95% of the decisions we face on a daily basis. And uh, we don't have to discover God's will like the pagans did by looking at the stars and astrology or cutting open animals we looked at last time and how they used to look at livers. And if there's a shiver in the liver, that meant one thing. <laughs> we don't even have to do it like they did in the Old Testament times among God's people where they cast the Urim and Thurim, sort of like rolling dice to see what God's will is. God has us on a completely different plan. God's plan for us actually involves his Holy Spirit and his word. And when we read God's word with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, well, the first thing the Holy Spirit does, he starts to apply that word to our life, doesn't he? He convicts us of sin, shows us areas that we shouldn't be living and areas in ways we should be living, and he starts to guide us and correct us through his word that way. But we learned two weeks ago that he does something else. Literally, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God as we pray over it, meditate on it, and memorize it. And he literally begins to form the very will of God in the desires of our hearts. And so what happens is we start finding ourselves with new desires. Desires we didn't know were there before. And what God is doing is he's planting his will in our life into our hearts. We looked at this uh, two weeks ago with missionaries. You know, how does somebody discern whether they're supposed to be a missionary? Well, all of a sudden, they find that God starts giving them a desire for missions. And God starts giving them a desire to maybe work overseas as a missionary. And they just follow the, the desires of their heart that God has placed into their life. Augustine, we learned, said it this way uh, two weeks ago. When he was asked, how do you figure out what God's will is as a Christian? It's simply this. You love God and do what you want. Because what you want to do is become what God wants you to do. Cornelius Van Til, who was a famous theologian in the Presbyterian tradition, he said it this way, that we start to learn to think God's thoughts after him. And quite honestly, that covers about 95% of the decisions we face in everyday life. Just a simple, healthy walk with God is what God uses to place the right desires he has for us in our life into our heart. And we just obey them. But what about those remaining 5% of decisions? 
those decisions where even after spending time in prayer and trying to please God and walk with God, we still don't know what to do. We still can't figure out what God's will is for our life. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we handle those difficult decisions? Now, I'd like to begin by challenging you to reframe the question we often ask ourselves. See, we usually start by saying, I don't know what is God's will for me in this decision of my life. And then we're stuck. God hasn't revealed it in his word. He hasn't convicted me in his heart. I just don't know what God's will is for me. And we, we stay right there. Reframe the question to this. Instead of asking what's God's will, which is passive, say to yourself, what does it take to make a good decision? What does it take to make a wise decision in this choice? It is God's will we make a good decision. It's God's will we make a wise decision. And all of a sudden, when we ask that question, instead of being passive, we become active. You see... The honest truth is, in those remaining 5% of tough decisions we face, by changing the question to what will it take for us to make a good and wise decision, we can figure out our way through most of those tough choices. I'll give you an example. For instance, uh, what about marriage? Well, the Bible has one very clear stipulation, that if you are a Christian, it's God's will for you to marry a Christian. Very clear. In fact, we see it right here in the Scriptures. First uh, Corinthians 7.39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry whomever she wishes, but only in the Lord. God's will is that you marry a Christian. But let's just put it this way. Every single one of us knows that among the single Christians out there, some are better marriage material than others, right? And you want to make a wise decision, right? If you make a wise decision, then all of a sudden you can begin to make a good decision and you can marry the right person. You see, God gives us oftentimes in these last 5% of tough decisions, he gives us a lot of freedom because he hasn't specified what his will is. We know what it is. That's put us in the boundaries, but then we have to make that wise and good decision. And so this morning, as we uh, look at the, our, our study together, what we're going to focus on is, what does it take for us to make a wise decision? What does it take to make a, for us to make a good and godly decision in these tough-to-decide areas we face in our life? And if we get that down, it'll help you. So let's go ahead and look at this. Number one, don't make decisions that pull me away from Christ. One of the first things the scriptures tell us is we have to ask this question, will it build me up? And I like the way Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is going to be beneficial. Well, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. There's a lot of things we can do that are not necessarily wrong in and of themselves. But we have to ask ourselves, if I make this choice, is it going to be helpful to me? Is it going to be constructive for me? Is it going to help me follow Jesus Christ better? Or is it going to discourage me as I seek to follow 
him. In fact, it's sort of unwise to make choices that would seem to cool our passion for Jesus. Remember, they're not necessarily right and wrong, wise and unwise. See, Paul writes about the Christian life this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. The Christian life is like a race for each one of us. It's not a meandering walk in the park where we go any which direction doing whatever we feel like at the moment. We are in a race. We are running towards a goal. The goal is that we want to please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The goal is that we want to leave as much of an impact for the gospel and the good news of Jesus as we possibly can. That's, that's our goal as Christians. So live in such a way that helps you achieve that goal. We may be on the track uh, 50 years, 60 years, 70, 80, even 90 years, but stay focused on the goal and then ask yourself, the choices that I make, they may not be a right or a wrong choice, but are they going to help me burn hot for Jesus? Look at your friends. Yeah, I could have these, this friend. It's not necessarily a wrong friend, but is that friend encouraging you in Christ? Helping you burn hot for Christ? College. Which college are you going to go to? Is this a college that is going to encourage your Christian faith? Or is it going to be a dormitory that's going to discourage your Christian faith? television and the programs and the movies we watch. You know, there's a lot of things out there to watch. But you have that little nudge by the Holy Spirit. Am I watching this movie or this television program? Is this helping me burn hotter for Christ? Or is it distracting my eyes off of Christ? Maybe the movie is not a right or a wrong issue. But it's a wise or a foolish issue. Remember we're in a race. We want to run as hard as we can, as best as we can to please Jesus. So the first question is, will it build me up? The second question we should ask ourselves is, will it slow me down? Hebrews writes about the same thing. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, The race marked out for us. The writer of Hebrews has this same idea that as Christians, we're not in a walk in the park. We're in a race of life. We want to please Christ in this race. Do the best we can for Jesus. So he says, therefore, well, the first thing is get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. And I love the picture with that. You know, you can run with your uh, shoelaces untied. And you may run successfully for a while with your shoelaces untied. But what happens when you least expect it? You step on the shoelaces. You trip. You fall. You make a huge nose plant. That's the way it usually works when we tolerate sin in our lives, isn't it? We go along. We're going fine. Oh, I can tolerate it. I can manage it. And this, when we least expect it, it trips us up. We make a nose plant. And end up ruining some of our impact for Jesus. But the other thing he says is that we should get rid of or let us throw off everything that hinders us. Literally, it means to get rid of any weights that would slow us down. We're not talking about a right or a wrong choice, just a wise or an unwise choice. 
there are things we can uh, get ourselves involved in in this life that aren't wrong, but they make us run slow when it comes for Jesus. I'll give you an example. My daughter, Deanna, is involved in track, and they have her in hurdles, which she finds that very interesting. And that, that big, huge stretch, they have to get your, your leg up over the hurdle, and, and she's doing okay with that. There's nothing in the rules, by the way, that says um, she cannot wear combat boots. Now, she could wear combat boots and do the hurdles. It's, it's totally legal. It's just totally unwise. <laughs> I mean, she's not going to win a single race all year. In fact, she's probably never going to get her foot over top of the hurdle. It's just an unwise choice. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. As you look at those tough decisions in life, and you're not too sure which way you should go because God's word isn't clear and the Holy Spirit maybe hasn't uh, revealed to you where you should go, not only ask yourself, is this beneficial for my walk in Jesus? Ask yourself, will this slow me down in my walk with Jesus? It's not God's will that you'd run slow with combat boots. The next thing that he, we should know is this. You have to ask this question, will it lead me into bondage? I love the way that Paul writes about this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. In other words, there's things I can do in this life that are not wrong at all, but they can slowly start to take over and control me. As soon as I say this, some of the obvious ones come right to mind. You know, well, obviously that's why you shouldn't do drugs, even if they're illegal drugs, because sometimes that can control you, right? You become addicted to it. Alcohol. Alcohol can take over your life, even though it's, you know, it doesn't say that drinking is wrong ipso facto at all times in the Bible, but it can become an addiction, and it can ruin you. But the reality is why we're very clear about drug and alcohol addictions can become something that controls us. There's other things that are much more subtle, like hobbies. You know, people who have become addicted to their hobbies and hobby-centered, they don't run necessarily real hard for Jesus because that's all they focus on. Smartphones, social media, they live for the like because their life has become centered on that and orientated around that. They've become bondage to that. It's not God's will that we would be slowed down and wrapped up in those things because it keeps us from burning hot for him and burning well for him. So that's the first thing we need to do. We want to make a good decision, a wise decision. You know, ask yourself, is this going to help me grow in Christ, slow me down in Christ, or bring me into bondage? The next thing we need to do is look at this. Lean into my gifts. For you form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And what I want to point out to you in this verse is simply this. You need to understand that God created you. And when God created you, he created you just the way he wants you to be. 
Now, if we were God, let's face it, we'd have made ourselves a little bit different. We would have all been taller. We would have all been skinnier. And we all would have made ourselves smarter. But the reality is, God made us just the way he wants us to be. And when God made us, he did not make a mistake. He made us just the way he wants us to be. So we have the necessary gifts and skills to accomplish what he has laid out for us as his will for our lives. He has. God made you physically the way you, he wanted you to be. He made you intellectually the way he wants you to be. You are smart enough to be able to accomplish what God wants you to do. And if there's things that are just too difficult for you, and that are beyond your ability, well, the reason you need not worry about that, because God didn't gift you for those things and prepare you for those things, so he doesn't want you doing those things. Not only did God make us a certain way physically, not only did God make us a certain way intellectually, but he gave us different talents. And it's his will that we lean into those talents. He gave us them for a reason. Some of you are really good at sports. It's his will that you lean into that because he's gifted you in that area. Others of you are really good in music and worship. He's given you those gifts for a reason. Lean into that. If you're faced with a decision, you don't know where to go. Well, I know that God gave me these gifts, so I should lean into using those gifts. He gave you them for a reason. They're integral to helping you fulfill his plan for your life. Not only did God give us physical gifts and uh, physical size, the way he wants us to be, and intellectual shape, the way he wants us to be, but he also gave us spiritual gifts, didn't he? And he gave us certain gifts so we can do different roles in the church. He made us just the way he wants us to be. Remember that. He didn't make a mistake. And understanding them is key to fulfilling his will. Look at this at Romans 12, 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Well, if, if prophecy, then in proportion to our faith. If service, then in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads, then do it with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, then do it with cheerfulness. If God has given you some of those gifts, lean into your gifts. That's sort of how you help discover God's will for your life. Make a good choice that leans into your shape. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Well, okay, I agree. I should make choices that lean into my gifts, and that would be the way I could understand God's will for my life. But I really don't know what my gifts are. I can't figure out my shape. Well, let me give you some points to help you discern your shape. Number one, ask yourself, what do I enjoy? Chances are, God wants you leaning into doing something you actually enjoy something you find yourself energized by. If you find your life just completely sucked away in an area, well, maybe that's not the area God wants you leaning into. 
It's not a good decision for your life. If you're really clueless on this, you can go online. You can take a test like the Strength Finder test, or you can take the Taylor Johnson Temperament Analysis test just to help understand who you are. Another place you can go to, you can talk to other people. Ask, what are the gifts and passions do others notice in me? The scriptures say this in Proverbs 27 too. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. And then Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. People who really know you, people who really love you and who care about you, sometimes it's good to just say, hey, you've known me for a while. What do you see as my shape? What kind of gifts and talents do you think God has given me? I just want to figure out what they are and lean into them. Sometimes your friends will be honest and say, I think I see you gifted in this area. Go that direction. And sometimes they'll be honest and say, you know, you really like this area, but that's not your gift. It's because they love you. They will tell you. Now let me give a little caveat here. And I'm talking to those of you who are young, who are very young, who are trying to figure this all out. The natural place you want to go to when you're in your teens is you say, I'm just going to go to my friends. My other 18 or 19 or 20-year-old friends, they'll tell me what my gifts are. And they are very well-meaning. But quite honestly, they're often very inexperienced. And so they'll tell you what they think your gifts are, but they don't have a lot of breadth of knowledge to understand how that comes together. If you're in your teens and early 20s, sometimes the best place you can go is to someone like your parent or to someone who's your parent's age, who's, uh, you know, who knows you well, who has a breadth of understanding of life and how it comes together, and let them provide some wisdom and insight into how God has wired you together, and then lean into it. Something else often happens that we should talk about. What if we find ourselves, what is good, by the way, about living outside of my gifts and talents? Sometimes we find ourselves, especially when we're younger, doing things that don't seem to fit us. Like maybe you thought that Jimmy John's and serving at Jimmy John's was going to be great. You were going to be into food service and you signed up to work at Jimmy John's and after two weeks in the job, you're like, this is so not me. This is terrible. And you're like, I want to get out of here as quick as I can. And well, that's okay. Because you know what God is doing? Sometimes to be able to show you how you're built, he shows you how you're not built. Sort of like Edison in the light bulb. Well, here's one more way. It's not going to work. <laughs> and that's all part of God's steering and helping you understand yourself. Also, when you find yourself serving outside of an area of your gifts and talents, it teaches you a lot of humility. It teaches you a lot of patience, especially when you don't find yourself energized by it. Now, let me talk about one thing that's very important here. Why do I always need to qualify my gifts with an honest evaluation of my ability? Romans 12, 3 says, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. See, what often happens is once we begin to understand our shape and the way God has put us together, 
we start to lean into this because we find we have gifts in this area and we have some passion in this area, all of a sudden we start to think that we have to have rock star levels of giftedness. And let's be honest, most of us don't. You know, sometimes God just gives us five talents in an area. He doesn't give everybody 10 talents in an area of their giftedness. That's okay. You know, if you're good at cooking and you find yourself energized by cooking, it doesn't mean you have to have your own cooking show. Maybe God's given you those gifts because you need to feed your family and you need to enjoy doing it. And you maybe want to make meals for others and you find yourself energized by doing it. You're not a 10-talent cook. You're a five-talent cook. That's okay. God made you that way for a reason. And remember, he did not make a mistake when he made you. He made you exactly the way he wants you to be so you can accomplish the will he has for your life. Same way with music. You know, some people, they get into music and they think they have to have their own album out. You know, and their album has to be the most one, downloaded one on iTunes. And, you know, maybe God hasn't given you that kind of level of giftedness. You have five talents instead of ten. So do your best, but be content with the level of giftedness God has given you, knowing that God did not make a mistake when he gave you those gifts. So, when it comes to making good decisions and wise decisions, we want to make decisions that build us up in Christ, not tear us down in Christ. We want to make um, decisions that others help us understand what our gifts and talents are. And we want to lean into those. That's generally the way we want to go. The other thing we want to do is we want to follow our dreams and our burdens. This is really insightful. Um, God can speak to us, by the way, about his will directly through dreams. You know, that happened with Joseph and stuff like that. But that's not normally the way God speak to us, speaks to us in everyday life. Usually what happens is we're going through life and he gives us a burden on our heart about something. We see something in this world that just doesn't feel right to us and we're burdened to do something about it and to make it better. We see the need, so to speak, and we want to meet the need. I'll give you an example. Billy Graham, you know, he has this burden that had him done his life. That, hey, I want to preach the gospel to people. I want people to hear about Jesus. So he leans into that burden, and that unfolded God's will for his life, didn't it? And maybe some of you have a burden for missions. Lean into that if God's placed that in your heart. Some of you may have a, a burden to reach our community. Lean into that. Others of you may have a, a burden for helping people who are going through crises in their marriage. God has placed that burden in your heart, so lean into it. That's God's will for your life, to do something about that. I'll give you an example in Scripture where this shows up. Um, we read about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia around 450 B.C. Now, a cupbearer was a very important person. You were the guy that tasted the wine before it was given to the king. So if there was poison in it, you died instead of him. 
Obviously, the king literally trusted you with his life. Nehemiah is that kind of high-ranking official. And one day, Artaxerxes notices that Nehemiah is sad. And so Artaxerxes says, you know, why are you sad? And Nehemiah says, well, it's, it's nothing here in the palace, king, but it's my hometown, Jerusalem. The defensive walls around Jerusalem are all broken down. I want to do something about it. And King Artaxerxes lets him go and begin to rebuild the walls. Let me show you how he describes it this way in Nehemiah chapter 2. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. See how God gave him a burden? to repair those walls. And that was what guided him in discerning what is God's will for his life. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you have a burden for single mothers. You can't shake that. Maybe God put it there for a reason. He wants you to do something about it. Number four. By the way, it's always God's will that we go out of my way to love people. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what the Scripture says flat out. In fact, um, the Bible tells us again and again, the key to understanding and fulfilling God's will in your life is that you go out of your way to love people. At least eight places in the Scriptures, the Bible tells us that it's God's will that we would love him and love our neighbor as ourselves. Hebrews 13, verse 10 says, love is the fulfillment of the law. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, love is the fruit of the Spirit. When we're not too sure what to do in a tough decision, one of the best things we can do to figure out what God wants us to do is ask ourselves, what is the most loving thing I can do? What is the most loving choice I can make for another person. And we figure that out. That's generally the place that God wants us to go. I'll give you another example on this one. Haddon Robinson was um, one of my professors in seminary. And sometimes during class, he would sort of get out of the teaching mode and we would talk interpersonally about his life. And one of the things he talked about was the tough decisions that he and his wife faced about what to do with their aging parents. In particular, what to do with his mother's, or his wife's mother as she aged. Right after they had moved to Denver, Colorado, and he had taken on a very high-profile position, she was diagnosed with cancer. As they prayed about it, not too sure what to do, they decided to make the decision to move her out to Colorado where Dr. Robinson's wife gave her 24-hour-a-day care for the last 18 months of her life. He talked about that as being the most difficult period of his entire marriage. Coming home from a huge, incredibly heavy, busy day of work and then immediately going into caring for nursing care for his mother-in-law and to help his wife through the night. 
you know, it wasn't an easy decision. But it was God's will to make the right decision. It was the most loving decision. You see, oftentimes, the right decision isn't the easy decision. It's the hard decision to choose to go out of our way and love people, even when it's inconvenient and difficult. Number five, seek God's counsel when facing tough decisions. Not only do we want to make decisions that are loving, that's a good decision, but we, God has put us in a community called the church. And he didn't just put us in the church so that we would worship together and so that we would have friendships together. But one of the reasons, folks, he puts us in a church is so we'd have the counsel and wisdom of one another to bounce things off of when we face difficult times. For instance, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 uh, says we should seek wise counsel in the church. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We encourage one another. The church is sort of like a campfire. You know, a campfire has all those logs in it. The only way those logs are going to burn bright is when they're together. You can take those logs and you can pull them apart and they will continue to burn, but they'll smolder, they'll smoke. But it's only when you put them together that they can burn hot, they can burn bright. In the same way as Christians, it's when we come together in God's body of the church that we burn hotter and that we burn brighter for Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is in the church, we can find godly counsel when we face tough decisions. Where those who have been given gifts of wisdom can help us think through difficult choices. Now, by the way, when we face those difficult choices in the church, don't just try to talk to one person. It's often good to talk to more than one person. What I like to call, get a second opinion on these things. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. You're facing a tough decision. You don't know which way to go. So you talk to some people in the church, try and get their wisdom on it, but talk to multiple people. Because each one will give you different facets. Uh, for me, once a year I get to go to this meeting called Team 500 in the Evangelical Free Church denomination. It's a meeting of about 25 other pastors in the Evangelical Free Church who pastor churches about our size or larger. And it's great because what we do is we, we ask our questions. And what will happen is we'll ask a question and then one pastor will answer it. But then another pastor will throw his insight around it too. And a third pastor will throw his insight around it. And I'll tell you, by the time you've had four or five other really godly men bring their insight around your question, it's a lot better than just the first guy. See how there's wisdom that God speaks through all of his people, not just one of his persons. Number three, be teachable. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Be willing to take advice. 
And number four, seek counsel from mature people in the church, not just any person in the church. In 1 Kings chapter 12, we read the story of King Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. And after Solomon passed away, Rehoboam took over. And right when he took over, there was a little bit of instability in the nation. And he began to lay heavy burdens on the people like his father had done with building projects. And so the people came to Rehoboam. And this is what they said. Your father made our yoke heavy. You, therefore, now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke upon us, and we will serve you. This could have been Rehoboam's finest hour. You know, the people say, we're tired. The temple, the palace, you know, that's a lot of work. Can, can we just slow down for a little bit and take it easy? Rehoboam thought about it. Young king, okay, well, I probably should get some advice. I should get some advice from multiple people. Those are the same path we're talking about. And so the first thing he did is he went to some of the older, mature, godly, wise men that were there when his father reigned. And this is what they said. They said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. The older, wise, mature men said, you know, they're right. Go a little easier than your father did, and they will stay loyal to you. But Rehoboam said, I have some other people I want to talk to. Like my friend group, the other teenagers who grew up with me, my young posse of guys, you know, let's see what they say. So he goes to his posse of young men, and this is what they say to him. And the younger men who had grown up with him said, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. They said, you know what you say to them? You think my father was bad? You think he was tough? You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to make life terrible for you. What happens? He chose to listen to the advice of the younger, immature men rather than the older, wise men. And as a result, the nation split in half. Ten of the twelve tribes, the northern tribes, left and began following a man named Jeroboam instead of Rehoboam. Civil war racked the nation. The nation stayed divided for generations. Thousands upon thousands of people died in the civil war between the northern and southern kingdom. All because he got advice. He got multiple advice. But he followed the advice of immature people instead of seeking the advice of wise people. So when it comes to seeking advice, which is a very good thing in the church, make sure you're careful about who you listen to. Listen to the wiser, more mature people. And lastly is this. When you seek counsel 
make sure you seek counsel that is not just what you want to hear. In the final chapters of 1 Kings, we read about another story, about a man named King Ahab. Now, King Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom, and Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern kingdom. And they actually got together, and they decided they would enter into an alliance with one another, probably a marriage alliance between them. And Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, why don't you join me as part of this alliance? I'm going to go battle with the Arameans. Join me in going to war against them. So they gathered and made their plans. And then Jehoshaphat said, you know, Ahab, we've made a lot of plans, but we've never actually talked to God about our plans. Never actually asked him if it's really wise for us to go to war at all. Ahab said, just don't worry. I've got it covered. I have the National Council of the Prophets. Let me just go to them and see what they say. This is interesting. 400 prophets. What do they say? Go to war, Ahab. You're going to be victorious. Not a single dissenter in the group. Notice that? Jehoshaphat thinks something feels fishy about this. These prophets are only saying exactly what Ahab wants to hear. He says, isn't there anybody else out there? And this is what Ahab says. Yes, there is. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil and Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. In other words, Micaiah sort of had got cut out of the group. Notice that? Because he didn't always say what Ahab wanted to hear. Jehoshaphat says, bring him in. Let's hear what Micaiah has to say about us going to war with the Arameans. And Micaiah comes in and he, he says, attack and you're going to be victorious. But Ahab noticed that when he said this, he said it very sarcastically. Ahab stopped and said to him, tell me the truth. Tell me what the Lord has really told you. And this is what he says. I saw Israel scattered on the hillside. If you understand the way that works in that culture, that is... He says, I saw Israel scattered like sheep on the hillside. They are sheep without a shepherd. In other words, if you go to war, it's going to be disastrous for you. The shepherd will be taken away from the sheep. Now, what happens from there? Ahab, even though he knows what Micaiah says, he's known what the Lord, the Lord has spoken to him, he figures he only wants to hear what he wants to hear, you know? People are going to reinforce his own opinion. opinion. So he says, I'm going to go to war anyway. And he decides to go to war, and he uh, disguises himself as a regular soldier. Goes to war. And what ends up happening is this is where God's sovereignty and chance cross paths. A man launches an arrow at random, and guess where it lands? 
right in Micaiah, or excuse me, right in Ahab, and he dies. Then what happens, actually, right before this, is a very strange, strange story from the text. Let me read it to you. And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him, on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And the one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do it. Now, by the way, this is one of the strangest stories in the Old Testament. What you need to understand is this is not history. It's a story. God doesn't necessarily, he doesn't go out seeking advice from spirits on how to destroy kings. It's the force of the story we're supposed to get. Ahab only wanted to hear people that would reinforce the decision he had already made. Folks, when it comes to making those tough decisions in life, Should we seek advice? Yes. We're supposed to seek advice from godly people. Supposed to seek multiple advice. Supposed to seek advice from mature people. But sometimes when they give us advice, it's not what we want to hear. The question is, will we listen? Or just go our own way? You see, when it comes to discerning God's will in our life, in those really tough decisions one of the best things we can do is change from asking that question, which is, what is God's will in this situation, to what is a good decision in this situation? What is a wise decision in this situation? Lean into our gifts, listen to the advice of others, but if they speak and it's not what we want to hear, be willing to listen and obey. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you have put us in a church. You've put us in a community of people that can help us us have much better wisdom when we face tough decisions in our life. I ask that you would uh, make us wise about seeking input and advice from others, and especially mature people who would help us make good decisions. But I also especially ask that when people counsel us away from a decision that we've already made in our heart, that we wouldn't be like Ahab and hard-hearted, that we'd be soft-hearted and willing to listen and take the advice that you give through your people in the church. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.